Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's innovative hidden screen folds away when closed, keeping it clean while bringing in a ton more sun. Choose 0% financing for 72 months or a free upgrade to the hidden screen on our 250 series. Visit PellaWI.com today. The world's largest music festival is happening now. We're live on the Summerfest grounds of the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. Now broadcasting from the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin WTMJ Mobile Studio. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. I understand that we have some breaking news going on this morning. We're going to set aside some time in the 1 o'clock hour of the program to discuss that. But we're not going to spend the entire program talking about the Supreme Court's decision with Roe versus Wade. What we're going to do right now, though, is, as is our tradition on our first day of Summerfest broadcasts, we're joined by Summerfest CEO Don Smiley. Don, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Good to see you. We have a perfect day here. This really is a Chamber of Commerce day here for Summerfest. It's beautiful. It was just gorgeous yesterday, and and today just... uh, it's as nice as it was yesterday. So we've had we've had two nice days so far. It's just wonderful. Um, last night, I, everybody I know that was down here last night completely and totally enjoyed the event. They said just a, a wonderful experience, and it must be nice to be back after just a couple of years. Yeah, you know the the, the folks that I talked to uh, yesterday and last night, it was really a sense of joy and and um, you know they could they could take a breath, you know and and. It was uh, getting back to some semblance of order, and you know, it, it's just—it's amazing what music brings to people and what it means to the different things that it means to to people. And you know, you mix that with food and beverage and beautiful weather, and it and it all adds up to a good time. So, you know, given what everyone has been through over the past couple of years with COVID. Um, you know, it was it was really refreshing. You know, we're still battling that a little bit too, right. because you know bands can't uh, bands come down with COVID or whatever, and they cancel at the last minute. So, and that's not unique to Summerfest. Obviously, that's happening all over the world. Um, and so we're we're still dealing with some of that. But people uh, that have that showed up yesterday really feel comfortable and. Uh, you know, again, some semblance of order getting back the way that it was. Then let's talk about a couple of things. I know we, we've discussed this before, but when when I, I saw some of the TV stations interviewing people, there, there are still some folks who are, are back with the traditional, well, we remember when it was Thursday through Sunday, and, and, and we don't like the idea that they've gone to this, this, this three-day over three-weekend thing. Let, just one more time. I mean, what, what was the thinking behind that? Well, we, you know, we looked at all, all of the data, and we had analytics that um, showed us as to when people were showing up here and spending money. And obviously people are more in the mood to go out on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday than they are on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, so, or, and Sunday, actually. So we looked at, we looked at uh, many different metrics to come up with that decision. We rolled it out last year, which really wasn't a fair right. indication as to you know, if it works or not, because we had to operate in September since COVID chased us all the way to September. So, you know, we, we didn't really draw any conclusions from last year. So we will take the results from this year and we'll measure those results and analyze those results after the festival and see where we go with this. Um, 
you know, the initial uh, feedback and the in- has all been positive. It's really helpful for the staff here and the people that work here to have those breaks in between. And um, the initial results, uh, as far as um, metrics go, have been positive. But we'll measure it all up at the end of the, at the end of the run and see where it takes us. Uh, which is always interesting. You know, Don, we talk about this uh, a lot. At your tenure, we, we were just discussing. It's going to be twenty years next year, next, right? Next, <laughs> next. Thanks for that reminder. <laughs> um, next year will be twenty years for me. So it's just it's, it's just amazing. It was a blink of an eye. Well, and I know one of the things that you've been really has been a priority for you over those 20 years has been upgrading the infrastructure of the grounds. What are some of the things that you're proudest of? Well, I think just that. I mean, it's um, we've spent about $160 million here on the grounds improving stages, restrooms. We built a children's park, uh, Northwestern Mutual Community Park. We've redone the amphitheater and spent $50 million dollars so we um, we've really redone the park from north to south and everything in between, and we raise that money privately. That that that's not um, public money that that went to those improvements. And of course, we couldn't do that without our sponsors. I mean, we are really sponsor driven, and we concentrate on that every year. And we we just hit it out of the park this year, as far as renewing sponsors and bringing on new sponsors. Part how, of our- how receptive has the community been? I, I get the, I mean, because I, I know it's there's always a, a challenge for for dollars, and when you go out to these different, whether it's you know American Family or Potawatomi, who's you know who's back this year, I, I know it. it there's always a challenge. How how receptive has the community and the businesses been to, to supporting an event like Summerfest? They've been absolutely fantastic with us. And and you know when you when you get right down to it, there there's a lot of people fishing in that same pond. I mean, the Brewers are in there, and the Bucks are in there, and State Fair, and there there's a lot of large uh, properties that are try that are going after the same sponsor dollars. So you really do have to deliver through activation and execution and and deli- and over deliver to the sponsor for them to keep renewing and coming back. So we've had a great um relationship with all of our sponsors. We're very thankful for all of our sponsors and uh, you know this year was testament as to how strong this brand is because of the sponsorship numbers that we were able to achieve on the other hand uh group sales have been a little soft because we're not everyone's back in the office yet so the people that we used to call to buy group tickets whether it's a hundred tickets 400 tickets or a thousand tickets a lot of them aren't back in the office yet so and you will see that with different properties where they're struggling with with group ticket sales what do you think has been the success of the longevity of Summerfest? Um, if you look at lots of other music festivals over the years, they've come, they get hot for a couple of years, and now they're gone, and Summerfest has continued to survive and thrive for, for 50 years. I think it's testament to the fans. I, I, I really do. I mean, this has been going on for generations now. This is the 54th edition of Summerfest. We're blessed to be operating on this beautiful property. 
It's 75 acres on a lakefront. I mean, I've traveled the United States. I've never seen a property like this. And so that's why it's really important to keep making improvements to the property. And, and, and you know, it's a, um, it's a bit of a contest out there with uh, uh, artists because they've really raised the bar as to what their expectations are when they come and play a festival. So you really do need to keep up with the Joneses and, and, and run past that, if you will, run through the goal line in terms of keeping your property fresh and new. Uh, and, and I think we've done that. So I, I think it's testament to the fans and, and the property and, and of course, the music. And, and it, this is really, over the years, it's really stayed true to what this is all about. And it's a music festival. Let me take a very quick break. When we come back, I want to kind of peel back the curtain and ask you a couple things about what goes on behind the scenes. So stick around, 1216. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest 2022. We're joined by Summerfest CEO Don Smiley. Summerfest, but this is, of course, the second day of Summerfest. We're joined by Summerfest CEO Don Smiley. Don, okay, I've I've never asked you to kind of peel back the curtain and stuff, but to to put on a festival like this with all the different bands, I I know it's like a year in, in the planning. How does how does this whole thing start? Do you have a like a giant Vague empty board, and then have to figure out okay, how are we going to fill these slots? Sure, it's the it's the concert behind the concert, if you will. <laughs> right. And uh, Bob Babish, who's right. retiring after forty six years of uh, booking music for this festival, and his whole team, including Scott Zeal, the new entertainment director, following Bob, that entire team, the entertainment department, um, books all of the music and. Um, organizes all of the production behind those signings so you see these bands going on the stage and coming off the stage and and so on it really is a concert behind the concert because that that takes a lot of orchestration to, to to handle that and then you have all of the other working parts here that i i spoke earlier about sponsors and the activation and execution of sponsorships and that's going on behind the scenes as well. So the logistics and the operational um, um, tendencies that an event of this nature has is, I mean, it's akin to any large event, mm-hmm. whether it's a Kentucky Derby or, or the Indianapolis 500. I mean, whenever you have that type of crowd coming in, um, there's certainly a lot of operational um, factors that that go into the planning of this, not the least of which is security. And we put security right at the top of the list. And we take it very seriously. We have a great working relationship with the FBI, the Sheriff's Department, and, of course, the Milwaukee Police Department. So, um, yeah, there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and it takes all year to plan it. The, um, you were talking about security. I, wh- what is the relationship that Summerfest has with, say, the city of Milwaukee now? I, I know there's been some issues over time about who should pay for security sure. or whatever, and that's been pretty much worked out, as I understand. Sure, it has been worked out, and it, and it was worked out uh, last year was the first year. The, the, the lease is somewhat vague as, as to how that was addressed, and that was, that's, that's, that's what has been discussed over the years. Uh, but last year we started paying for p- 
police coverage here on an a la carte basis. So you need X amount of uniforms during the day and you need X amount of uniforms at night, whatever that number is, we we pay for it now. And it's it's the same type of deal that the Milwaukee Bucks have and the Milwaukee Brewers and and so on. So, um, yeah, that that's just being passed through to us now. Yeah, oh, I, I get the I really do get the impression that you know whatever issues might have arisen over the, in the past years, it pretty much worked out. I think everybody's starting to recognize what a wonderful civic event Summerfest is and how important it is for the overall community. It's great, Jeff. I mean, any city that I know of would would love to have an event like this. I mean, we contribute almost $150 million each and every year to the local economy through direct and indirect spending. So when you look at that, I mean, that's almost a billion dollars in a a short amount of time that we're uh, uh, creating here in southeastern Wisconsin. So it, it, it really is a treasure. And, and you really need to take care of treasures and, and make sure that they grow, grow responsibly, and, and take good care of it. And, and that's, what we, that's what we try to do each and every morning when we get up. To, to that end, um, just like the last couple of years has been a, a test for Summerfest or State Fair, it's also been a test for the ethnic festivals. For example, this year I know Festa Italiana is kind of pulled off the lakefront, and they're going to do it on their grounds on a more scaled-back basis. What do you see as the future for the ethnic festivals down here? Yeah, um, and, you know, it's it's a little bit of a challenge for some of them because they're, they're all run by volunteers, first of all. Some of them have paid directors, and those are the ones that I think really um, they thrive a little bit more than others who have somewhat of a, um, a 100% volunteer uh, base and volunteers come and go, and and so do ideas as as to how to run the festival. So, in the case of Festa, I mean, we, we hated to see Festa go. I think they were the you know oldest festival operating right. down here. Um, but you have to be able to s- sustain yourself uh, from from you know w- within the economics of the operation, and. It's not all about expenses. Of course, expenses are important, but it's also your ability to raise revenue, to sell tickets, to change with the times, to have music that appeals to many different groups. And I think the festivals that are successful really grasp that idea and run with it. Um, as far as Festa goes, I, I, I wish them all the best. I hope they're really successful over there, and I hope they come back across yeah. the street when, when, when things get turned around, turned around a bit. You know, you, we talk about all the planning that goes in, but one of the things that just actually is always beyond your control is, is weather. And I understand you can have the, the, the greatest festival planned and the greatest entertainment, but if it pours rain on several key days or it's really, really hot or really, really cold, but it looks like you got a perfect weather. <laughs> well, so far, yeah. I mean, you know, we got a long way to go, but the first two days have been outstanding. Uh, but there's other things that come into play as well. You know, Justin Bieber got sick, and, right. and we had 22,000 seats sold for tonight's yeah. concert. And, you know, that's out the window right now. I mean, hopefully he'll reschedule, and we'll get a date later on in the year. Um, but as far as this festival goes, for this particular evening, it's only the second time in the history of the festival that that amphitheater will sit dark. Right. So 
I mean, there's other things that come into play outside of weather, but weather is certainly a big, important one. Well, you also make an interesting point because the, the Summerfest grounds, in addition to the ethnic festivals and, of course, the, the festival itself, you had Josh Grogan here before Summerfest started. That amphitheater is really being used throughout the spring and summer and fall to bring concerts outside of Summerfest per se. We were able to do that because we invested the money to improve the amphitheater, which was $51 million and change. Uh, again, privately raised, and we have a relationship with Frank Productions, which is co-owned by Live Nation. So it was it was the fact that we did improve that amphitheater that is bringing those shows to us. Because if we didn't improve the amphitheater, we wouldn't be able to book that amphitheater the way we are right now. Don Smiley, Summerfest CEO, this is always a, a great pleasure. And you, you've announced that you're stepping back, but not not till after next year's festival, right? right? After, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it one more and, and call it 20, and then we'll see what happens after that. Thanks for joining me, my friend. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jeff. We'll take a very quick break. Back with more from Summerfest in just a moment. Gone, daddy, gone. Love is gone. Welcome back. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is the Violent Femmes. They are playing at the Generac Power Stage this evening. We are broadcasting live. It is the second day of Summerfest, and it really is absolutely beautiful down here at the lakefront. Um, a little bit warm, but, but there's a great breeze that's rolling around here. Lots of people down here already enjoying Summerfest. If you're trying to figure out, oh, gosh, it's a Friday afternoon. I've still got a little bit of work to do. I, I give you that special dispensation. You get to come on out, and you get a situation where, you know, you get a day off. You know, that's that's it. Come on out and enjoy Summerfest. I, by the way, am aware of the fact that you have the Supreme Court decision this morning striking down Roe versus Wade. I know Steve Scafidi spent about most most of his entire show discussing this. We're going to set aside the 1 o'clock hour of today's program to talk about that. I'll give you my take on it. We'll take your calls and your feedback as well. But we're going to do that in the 1 o'clock hour of the program today and then some other stuff at 2 o'clock. Uh, a lot of people I know are talking about this. And right now, I think it's pretty much an unsettled sort of situation. But, again, if you want to discuss it, hang on right after the top of the hour. We will get to you. Uh, I guess, given the fact that you have the, the gun legislation, which has gone through Congress today, and given the fact that you have the decision on Roe versus Wade, may, maybe the, these committee hearings from yesterday seem to be so, well, well yesterday. But I, I do want to have a conversation. That You have, of course, the January 6th committee, which has been going on, and they've been conducting their extensive hearings into what happened on January 6th. And yesterday they were looking at all this evidence that, pretty much appears to indicate that Donald Trump just refused to accept the fact that yet a lot of people around him who were telling him that he had lost the election and that there weren't there wasn't a basis for these various legal challenges that were out there and Trump continued to want to hold on to power and ended up surrounding himself with one crazy after another who came out with these cockamamie schemes and it, it was very very clear that, that that's what went on now it's interesting in the New York Times today as they're writing about it of all places you know the New York Times acknowledges that in the testimony yesterday it really didn't like uh, go over any sort of new ground and that's one of the things that i've been saying all along about this if you followed these investigations well it's been really well documented by news reports and by books that have been out there so yes what we're learning 
is not necessarily stuff that's all of a sudden it's a revelation. I mean, I think pretty much it's been well reported that, again, you know, Donald Trump did not want to leave power. And Donald Trump came up with one cockamamie scheme after another to try to keep himself in power. And there were some people around him who fed into that by, again, saying, OK, Mr. President, here if th- these 40 ideas as to why you might be able to t- overturn the results of the election didn't work. But here's another 20 that we could try. Well, what got me thinking about this is there's a piece in Politico where the, the headline is two Democratic lawmakers say that nobody gives a bleep about January 6th. And what they're saying is they're quoting, at least anonymously, a few Democrats in Congress who are saying, yeah, this makes Trump look really bad. And yes, he did it. But as far as moving the needle, as far as causing people to change their votes and things like that, they just don't think it's happening. So let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here, here is my question. We, we've now had four or five of these committee hearings, which are, are orchestrated to present the, the narrative. And I, I have no issue with the narrative. I think it's pretty much correct. The narrative that's being presented in these committee hearings is not unlike the narrative that's been presented. If you read the New York Times, you read the Washington Post, or you read a number of the books that are about um, inside, that have been written about, you know, the from Trump insiders and things like that. So I don't know that it's plowing any new ground, but it is putting it out in in maybe a, a different sort of box for people to look at. So the question, though, is, is, is any of this going to make any difference? What, if anything, is going to come from this? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. If I could fly. As we've been mentioning, we are broadcasting live. It is day two of Summerfest 2022. This is Andrew McMahon and the Wilderness performing tonight at the Briggs and Stratton Big Backyard. Lots of families down here as well. This is, again, it's a Chamber of Commerce afternoon. Come on out and enjoy Summerfest. It's good to have Summerfest back. Milwaukee's Lakefront is rocking. WTMJ is broadcasting live. And our staff can't do what they do on an empty stomach. Thanks to our friends at Major Goolsby's. They don't have to. Stop by, grab some food, and don't forget to come by and see us. Again, for people who want to have a discussion about the Supreme Court striking down Roe versus Wade, we will do that in the 1 o'clock hour of the program. I do want to talk a little bit about you know what, what happened yesterday, which was the 4th or the 5th committee hearing into January 6th um, event. And I think the one thing... That, that's very apparent is we're not really plowing over new ground. Um, these are all things that have been reported in the past, and yeah, it's, it's, it's in a bright, shiny, new kind of package, but the fact it remains that you know, Donald Trump did not want to give up power. Donald Trump came up with one cockamamie scheme after another in an effort to stay in power, and a lot of people around him were telling him that the, these schemes, that they just have no validity at all, and he didn't want to hear that, so he'd go to somebody who was a little bit crazier who might come up with some other crazy idea. Beyond that, though, 
is the committee, is it changing any people's minds, or is this merely just reinforcing stuff that we knew before? 855-616-1620. Jeff, the only thing I think will result from this is that some Republicans like me will not support a Trump-backed candidate in the upcoming elections. And hearing how absolutely despicable Trump conducted himself, I will not vote for anybody with the Trump stamp of approval there. Another text, Jeff, for any politician that I might otherwise like, if they state being pro-Trump, I will look elsewhere. Both Trump and President Biden are in the 30% approval rating, and I'd rather have a guy like you or me than somebody that has only a slightly less approvable, favorable rating in office. I do think that that's one of the things that you're seeing that's coming out of this, and that is, I think that there are, I think this is, to the extent that Donald Trump had a political life beyond the the 2020 elections. I I think the stuff that's coming out now pretty much renders him unelectable. For even people who thought he might have been, I think it renders him unelectable moving forward. So if that's the ultimate purpose of the hearings, I, I think it's kind of accomplished that. And you're already starting to see that in Republican opinion polls. There's a poll out of New Hampshire that shows that um, when they do a head-to-head, who would you like to be the Republican nominee? Ron DeSantis from Florida beats Trump. And I think that's what's going to continue to happen. So to the extent the purpose of this was to convince at least some Republicans that it's time to move on from Trump, I think it's accomplishing that beyond that, I, I don't know what you're going to see. One of our texters says, well, I, I thought the purpose of this was to try to um, you know, find a basis to pro- prosecute Trump and some of his cronies. Well, I, I don't know about that. I, I, if that's the purpose, you wonder why that's being conducted in a hearing. I mean, that's if the Department of Justice believes that Donald Trump committed crimes, the Department of Justice should convene a grand jury. Don't know if they've done that or not. They should investigate him fully. And if they believe there's probable cause to believe that he committed a crime, whether it's in refusing to accept the results of the election or calls he made to the Georgia Secretary of State or whatever, if that's the case, I mean, then what? That's we, we have provisions in this country. That's what you have grand juries for, and that's what you have prosecutors for. Don't know that that's ever been the expressed purpose of this January 6th committee to try to, unless it's to try to put public pressure on the Justice Department to issue criminal charges. Of course, if that was the purpose... I would argue that's just as misplaced as the pressure that Donald Trump tried to put on the Justice Department to come up with theories to overturn the election. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Steve in Racine. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, I mean, yeah, I don't think it's going to change a lot of minds. Um, You know, the investigation into Trump, number one. Number two... He didn't prevent or delay Biden from taking office. Let's face it. I mean, he didn't take office six months later because of Trump trying to overthrow, you know, the election, number two. So it's a waste of time. It's basically smoke and mirrors to take the, you know, pathetic uh, job that I'm just going to be honest with you that Biden's been doing. I mean, it's really a shame. I'm just going to call a fade a fade. Um, our president in there falling down, can't ride a bike, can't walk. Well, Steve, I want to stop you on that. Thanks for the call. I mean, I guess I, because, I, I, look, I, I think is some of this perhaps smoke and mirrors is a distraction from other problems. Well, yeah, yeah maybe. But that doesn't mean it's, it's not 
it's not a valid sort of inquiry that's there. I just think that I, I was expecting that you might see like new ground that would be plowed or things like that. And as a general rule, you have it. Here's a text. Jeff, we knew at the beginning the committee wasn't going was going to just go after Trump and the Republicans. From what I've seen, there's nothing new here that we didn't already know from the impeachment hearings. Now, if they want to come up with a plan to prevent this from happening again, I'm all for it. If the purpose is reviewing security and things like that, otherwise I believe it's a nothing burger. As a side note, if this makes Trump not be the nominee, great. Go DeSantis. Yeah, that's, I think, you know, that's, there's actually a couple articles that are out there that are very interesting on this because they're raising exactly that point. The point that they're saying is, okay, if the purpose for the Democrats was to disparage Trump and make it look like Trump is unfit to be reelected and things like that, well, they're probably succeeding. But beyond that, I think there might be a lot of Republicans who don't want to see Donald Trump run again. And so they're thrilled that that's happening as well. Jeff, I totally agree with some of the other texts. I would never vote for Trump, and I know many people that would never vote for a Trump-endorsed candidate. Um, I wonder if anybody's paid attention to the ads by Dr. Oz since he won the primary. Um, I can guarantee you that if Tim Michaels wins the primary, you won't see all the Trump endorsement ads you see now. I also believe that about 35 to 40 percent of Democrats and the same percentage of Republicans won't be swayed, but independents would definitely be swayed by these hearings. I don't know. And I guess that's what we're going to have to see. At the end of the day, And we'll talk about this a little bit more in the next hour when we ask what the impact of the abortion ruling is on politics. At the end of the day, in the elections in November, and then in the election in November of 2024 for the next president, I think... You know, will people care about the January 6th hearings? Well, well, yes. Will they care about, you know, was there an attempt to, you know, stage a coup? Some people will, I, I guess. But I think more and more people are going to say, well, if there was an attempt to stage a coup, it, it didn't work. The people that were behind this are, are long gone. I don't see Donald Trump coming back to power. And I think at the end of the day, people are going to end up voting their pocketbooks. And, and maybe you can criticize people for that. But the bottom line is, that's it goes back to Bill Clinton and Bill Clinton's theory about it's the economy stupid. You know, the, the whole idea of, of that's what people care about. And if inflation is out of control and trillions of dollars in retirement wealth continues to have disappeared and gas prices are still unreasonably high and you can't get baby formula and things of the like, that's going to be, I think, the voting issue. It's why I I think that's what candidates need to be talking about as opposed to some of this other stuff. So I I watched the January 6th hearings. I will continue to watch the hearings. My takeaway of this is the same as my takeaway was going in. Donald Trump was not a nice guy. That has nothing to do with whether you agree with a lot of his policies when he was president or, or disagree with those policies. After, after the election, I think he behaved in a completely and totally shameful way, a way that's probably rendered him unfit to, to run as a candidate and certainly unelectable, whether it's from a Democratic perspective or a Republican perspective. Whether there's larger takeaways than that, I think the jury's still out.
This is Vertical Horizon. They are performing at the Johnson's Controls World Stage this evening. We are broadcasting once again live at Summerfest. Coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to discuss the Supreme Court ruling today, striking down Roe versus Wade. There, there's you know interesting development. Earlier this week, that one of the big Supreme Court decisions, actually, gosh, this, it was only yesterday that it came out, was the decision with regard to. Um, guns and of course the supreme court ruled that new york's new york's rule that in order to get a concealed carry permit you had to get government permission and the government could decide whether or not your reasoning was sufficient or not the supreme court ended up striking it down as i argued the other day i think this was the correct decision that they ended up making but here's the irony of this the lawyer that handled the case that argued against the the state law and, and ended up winning the case. It was a guy named Paul Clement. He was the former Solicitor General of the United States under the George W. Bush administration. I've actually met him a couple times, and he actually worked on a case with, or maybe even two cases, with, with my late wife. So I, he, he's really one of the smartest, sharpest guys around. Well, this is the irony. At the time he argued the case in front of the Supreme Court that he won, he was working for a big Chicago law firm named Kirkland & Ellis. So he wins the case. You would think that this would be a cause for celebration. Hey, you've won this big case. Let's pop the champagne. Well, what happened is uh, Kirkland Ellis, his law firm, said, okay, here's the deal. It's great that you won the case, but now you've got to drop all your clients that have anything to do with, with guns. We don't want to do any business anymore with people who you know, are arguing against gun laws or things of the like. So despite the fact that you won at the Supreme Court, we want you to drop all those clients. Well, um, Paul Clement made the decision that instead he was going to drop his law firm. And he said, fine, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not giving up on my clients. I'm going to continue to argue these cases I feel strongly about. And if that means I have to do it somewhere else, I'll do it somewhere else. I'm sure he's going to be fine. But it's kind of interesting. Congratulations. You won the case. Now you're fired. The world's largest music festival is happening now. We're live on the Summerfest grounds of the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. Now broadcasting from the fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin WTMJ Mobile Studio. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Like the big voice guy says, we are at Summerfest. It is a Chamber of Commerce day out here. Um, the sun is shining. There's a nice breeze to keep it cool. Lots of people are down here at the lakefront. Just a beautiful setting. Great shows going on. And uh, we encourage you to come on down. And if you do, please be sure to stop off and say hello. All right. All right. Let's open up the phone lines. Our number 855-616-1620 this is your chance i want to and when things like this happen sometimes i direct the conversation but other times i want to give people an opportunity to weigh in after well approximately 50 years today the supreme court reversed its decision in roe versus wade and found that there was no federal constitutional right to have an abortion this does not mean that abortions are automatically illegal all across the United States. Rather, it says that abortions are now going to be governed by the laws of individual states. In Wisconsin, there's an 1849 law on the books that essentially makes abortion in almost all circumstances illegal. Other states um, permit 
abortion. So this kicks it back to a legislative decision. Our number, 855-616-1620. Now, while Charlie is lining up the calls, let me let me give you my overall reaction to this. First of all, I have thought Roe versus Wade was a mess, From regardless of how you feel about abortion. I always thought, I remember when I first studied it, my first year in law school, 1979, when I first seriously looked at it, I, I, I always thought it was just a, a mess because it didn't seem as much to a decision about like constitutional scholarship, but rather this result-oriented position, you know, written by a court that wanted to preserve the, the right of abortion. So they wanted to preserve abortion, so they created this this right out of kind of thin air, and it, it just it never made any sense to me. If you read Roe versus Wade, it really it reads almost like a state legislature would, you know, and it defines. This sort of weird thing about here we're going to our, our dividing point is going to be different trimesters and and different standards of viability that you know if some of these standards might have been in place in 1973 you know the whole definition of viability has changed over the years it just regardless of how you feel legislatively about whether people should be able to get abortions or not I always thought Roe versus Wade was was a mess. And I always thought it would be something that, that should be handled legislatively. Now, so the Supreme Court strikes this down, finding no constitutional right. And admittedly, we are now in this age where there is this incredible uncertainty that is out there. In Wisconsin, you've got this 1849 law that is in place that allows for the prosecution of people who perform abortions. And as a result, I, I think it's at least temporarily the correct decision. Some of these abortion providers have said, hey, we're, we're, we're halting this until we get further you know, input as to you know, what's going to be going on here. And I if I was advising them, that's exactly what I would say, because I know you've got the attorney general of the state of Wisconsin saying, well, we're not going to prosecute abortion providers, but he might not be the attorney general, you know, after November. So I I think it would be a huge risk. Having said all that, so I I don't know that I have any significant issue with the reasoning, because I've always had problems with, with Roe to begin with. Having said that, we now have to figure out where we go from here. Many, many states in the pre-Roe world recognized that I think there was a mainstream opinion when it comes to abortion. And that is, there are some people who believe that life starts at the moment of conception and that any actions to terminate a pregnancy after conception is essentially murder. That's what some people feel. There are other people, like the Russ Feingolds of the world, who feel that a woman should be able to do whatever she wants with her body anytime she wants, and so that you know, up until the time of just birth, right before the, the baby comes out, if you want to terminate the pregnancy, that would be okay. I think that is an extreme. I think the vast majority of people are, are of a middle ground. Now, the case the Supreme Court was considering was a Mississippi statute which allowed elective abortions, no questions asked, up till 14 months. And then it said after that, abortions would be permitted in a medical emergency or in a case of severe fetal abnormality. So that's what the law was. Now, the Supreme Court today could have simply upheld that law. But they decided to take that one step further and say, look, we just don't think Roe is constitutional. I think the middle ground where the vast majority of people in this country are 
is something along those lines, whether it's 14 weeks or 15 weeks or 16 weeks or 18 weeks. I, I, I don't know what that particular time limit would be, but I think most people would support a, a middle ground on this, saying that, okay, Regardless of how you view life, and the whole question of that depends on your personal circumstances and your religious beliefs and your, uh, again, life experiences and things like that, I think the majority of people in this country would recognize that up to a certain point, elective abortions should be allowed. And I think this is the issue that the legislature is now going to have to grapple with. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your reaction in just a moment. That is Quiet Riot, who's going to be performing tonight at the Uline Warehouse. We are broadcasting live from Summerfest. Milwaukee's lakefront is rocking. WTMJ broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone at Summerfest. Come by, see your favorite WTMJ personalities. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to the Supreme Court striking down Roe versus Wade and essentially making this a state matter. So, each state legislature is going to have to decide what, if anything, they do with it. In Wisconsin, we have an 1849 law that essentially makes it illegal to perform abortions except in cases of medical necessity. All right, where do we go from here? 855-616-1620. I believe that ultimately what you're going to see is some sort of, I think you're going to see some sort of legislative solution that carves out what I believe is the middle ground on this. Keep in mind that most abortions performed in this country, I think like 94, 95% of elective abortions are performed in the first 14 or 15 weeks. So, and I think that's where, at least I believe, the majority of America is. Some restrictions, not unlimited abortion, not, hey, you know, if, if we're into the sixth month and there's no medical necessity, you know, no elective abortions there, I think that's where most people are. I also think that the majority of people, if it's a situation where, certainly if it's uh, a situation where it's rape or incest, but even beyond that, I think the majority people in this country believe that women should have rights up to a certain point and that you know 14 or 15 months should be enough to weeks should be enough to make that decision 855-616-1620 let's start with gianni and montello gianni you're on wtmj oh yes uh, great topic to discuss jeff Listen, it, it, it seems to me that um, what, what the decision um, constitutes is just that abortion will, will still be legal and it will be entirely up to the states to determine whether uh, abortions will occur in, in their state or not and up to the voters. But I, I don't think it, it, it changes things, but it doesn't change things too much. But, but really what I wanted to remark upon is, um, could you expound a little bit upon the 1849 um, decision in Wisconsin to, to, to ban abortions? I, I, when I heard that, I, I, I was um, a bit surprised because uh, in 1849, we were probably two decades into Wisconsin being the, um, you know, the, the frontier. We became a state in 1848, as, as you know. But it, it seemed like that might be the last thing on legislature's minds when, um, you know, Wisconsin is pretty much a frontier territory. So I, I thought that was a, a bit of a, um, well, they, they, you know, a dis, dis, uh, dissonance there. Could you expound well, on that? Thanks for calling, Gianni. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much the – actually, if you read the entire case, and I, I will be honest with you, I, I've read – 
I've read the majority opinion, and I've read the, the syllabus of, of the Dobbs case, the case that came down today. And they do do a history of abortion laws in this country, and, and they have evolved o- over time. The Wisconsin position was not inconsistent with where you know, the country was in you know, 1850, and, and it's evolved over the years, as you would expect, you know, when, uh, as you would expect when you, you have medical science that is evolving. And so I, I think you're in a situation here where, as times have changed, one of the things, I'm a little bit surprised with the decision, not because I think it's a bad const- decision from a perspective of constitutional law. I'm a little bit surprised simply because I candidly never thought that you would be able to put the Roe versus Wade abortion is a constitutional right genie back in the bottle after it's been let out. But this case, and you, you know, you read the decision, it's very clear they're not saying that you can't have regulations about abortion. They're just saying that this is what the matter is. It's not a constitutional right, and rather it has to, in fact, come from the legislature, whether that's on the federal level or whether that's on the state level. Now, the interesting, other interesting thing, there's many aspects of it, is how does this play out politically? And a couple of our texters are asking that question. What does this mean, what does this mean for an issue moving, say, into November? And I guess my answer to that would be, I think it's going to kind of be a wash. Now, hear, hear me out on this. I think this is not, while people have opinions on this, it is not a voting issue for a large chunk of, of society. And I appreciate that there are some very, very pro-abortion, pro-choice people for whom you know th- this, is, this is the worst day in, in their life. I understand that there are some pro-life people who are celebrating because they've been working for the last 50 years to overturn Roe versus Wade. But I think the numbers of those people are probably equal on, on either side. The majority of people who I think are in the middle Again, maybe you have a feeling, well, gee, I'm comfortable with abortion. I, I, I'm uncomfortable with abortion. I don't know that I think that that's going to be a voting issue. And by that, I mean that's not going to be something when you say, all right, gosh, what are the, what are the top issues that I feel strongly about that are getting me out to vote and making me choose for a candidate? I, I just don't think that the passion for this issue moves the needle it does for some people but i think it kind of balances out on on both sides so i mean my sense is i think it's going to be a wash but it's clearly going to energize people on both sides of the debate but my guess is the folks on both sides of the debate are pretty much equal as far as the people that this is their their sole reason for voting 855-616-1620 let's talk to craig and beaver dam craig you're on wtmj Wow, Jeff, uh, between uh, your last conversation and, and what you just said, uh, you really clarify a lot of my, my concerns. You know, my, my life is pretty much governed by three things. Number one would be the Bible, which is my interpretation of the Bible. Number two is the U.S. Constitution. Number three would be laws, A, federal, B, state, and C, local laws. Uh, so, when uh, uh, President Biden came on today at 1135 or whatever and said it was a constitutional right taken away, I think you kind of clarified that it is not a constitutional right. But on the other hand, as a man, I don't have to put up with the physical or mental demands of ever facing an abortion, uh, you know, right. personally, and, and how that would 
I would deal with that. So when you say, you know, it's going to be a voting thing, I think you're absolutely right. You kind of clarified it for me. I don't think it's going to change my voting uh, uh, lane, but I think it may uh, affect a lot of women. I, I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that, sir? I'll hang up and well, listen. Okay, well, thanks for call, Craig. Well, again, I, I think, see, I, I, I think there's... I think there's people who feel strongly on both sides of the issue. And for for everybody has an opinion on this. And as I was saying earlier, your opinion is based on your religious beliefs, your life experience, your, your family. It's all sorts of different factors that are there. And there are people that feel very strongly on both sides of this issue for whom this, this is, my gosh, you know, if you, if you end up uh, you know, reinstituting, you put in some version of uh, permissible abortion, I, I'm never going to vote for you. There's some people who are going to be arguing, you know, if, if you don't make abortion legal again in this state, I'm never going to vote for you. And, and, but I, I think there, my sense is there are equal numbers of people on, on both sides. So, again, I, I think this is kind of a wash. I do think that in Wisconsin, we need to we need to find that that middle ground. And I think most people are in in that middle ground where they believe that, regardless of their personal feelings about when life starts, that I think most people believe that there should be reasonable opportunities to terminate a pregnancy up to a certain point. And beyond that point, well, then it's, you know, then you're talking about medical emergencies. And that's, like I say, that's where a number of states have gone. The the law that the Supreme Court ended up upholding today was it was in Mississippi where they had a limitation of 14 weeks. Now, again, I don't know if it's 14 weeks or 15 weeks or 16 weeks. I don't know where where that right number is, but I, I think the legislature needs to take a, a look at this and, and figure figure it out. Can there be some political fallout on either side? Yes. Are people deeply invested, at least some people, deeply invested in their positions, either all or nothing? Yes, I, I understand that. But this is one where maybe you need to see some leadership coming out. We continue our conversation in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from Summerfest 2022. So very glad to have you with us. We are going to continue this conversation um, after the bottom of the hour news. So um, I, I don't want to take any more calls because I'm kind of up against a hard out. But we'll continue the conversation. I, I think... Uh, one of the things that is of a, a matter of concern, we're going to touch on this in the second half hour, is that ever since that decision was leaked, what you have is that there's been all this violence that's been directed at some of the pregnancy centers and things like this. And you've got some of these terrorist groups like Jane's Revenge that are saying, OK, you know, we're we're ready to you know, we're ready to take action. They've already at least claimed credit for firebombing about half a dozen pregnancy centers. I really firmly believe and I understand people are very passionate about this on both sides. I, I really firmly believe that this is a situation that is going to be worked out sooner rather than later. And I, if, I, if there's one thing I agreed with President Biden when he was talking this afternoon, it was that people need to be peaceful about this. 
This is Dustin Lynch performing at the U.S. Cellular Connection stage. We're going to continue our conversation about the breaking story of the day, the decision of the Supreme Court to overrule Roe versus Wade for about another 20 minutes or so. And then in the 2 o'clock hour, we're, we're going to lighten it up. We'll have lots of opportunities to discuss this moving forward. And, and again, I think it's important to have context. The Supreme Court decision today does not outlaw uh, abortion across the country. What it does is it kicks it back to state legislatures to make decisions. In Wisconsin, we have an 1849 law that's on the books that makes it illegal for people to perform abortions. And I think the legislature's need to, going to need to take a look at, at that. And my prediction is it, it will. Um, I, but it, it's interesting because, as you might expect, we're being swamped with phone calls and texts. And they're all over the map. Just all over the map. There's people who feel very, very strongly that with almost no exceptions, you shouldn't allow abortions. There's other people who think that this is just outrageous and that you shouldn't be influencing a woman's right to do whatever she wants to do with her body. And candidly, like I say, I think the vast majority of people find that this middle ground where they believe that up to a certain point women should have choices, but beyond that point, and, and I don't again, I don't know if it's 14 weeks or 15 weeks or 16 weeks or whatever beyond that, then you start to talk about situations where it's medical emergency. And, I, you know, we've tried to avoid the conversation of when life starts and what, what is viability and things like that, because that depends in many respects, again, on your personal perspective and your religious beliefs and all. But I, I do think this is a situation where and I understand we're very, very polarized in this state, but it's a situation where I, I think people on both sides have to figure out if there is some compromise that they can go towards. Jeff, for me, exceptions for rape, incest, and the life of the mother. Other than that, you have to live with the consequences of your actions. The risks of being sexually active aren't exactly hidden. Um, that's it. Jeff, um, I, oh, they're, they're nasty because 50% uh, the pop, 56% of the voting populace being women, and you've never been a father or a parent. Well, um, that, that's it. There's a lot of women out there that feel strongly that um, you should not have unlimited rights to abortion, that there should be certain limitations of it. Jeff, I feel like it was the right decision. Roe versus Wade was a horrible, horribly written ruling. Um, if anything, Congress can write something with more clear directions. Roe versus Wade was, in my opinion as well, I think it was... It was just a mess from a constitutional perspective, regardless of how you feel about the underlying question of abortion. Jeff, what I fear is that because people in Wisconsin are so divided on this issue that the legislature will fail to act for fear of facing repercussions, however they try to amend our now reinstated 1849 law, and now there'll be nasty battles in the streets and in state courts on whether or not all aspects of the law should be strictly enforced. Well, that's why... You need some degree of leadership to step up and people say, okay, where are we going to be on this? And maybe I understand that that people, some people believe that there can be no middle ground on this. I, I don't. I don't believe that that's the case, and I think this is one where maybe you need a profile and courage for people to come out and say, all right, what is what is reasonable in in this regard? And does it make sense, for example, to have a complete ban on abortion in Wisconsin if 
you know, other states, surrounding states, allow this to happen. You know, that those are the kinds of considerations that you have to take into effect, figuring out, okay, where are surrounding states? What is the general mood of the country on this? And I believe it is kind of a, a middle ground on this. 855-616-1620. Dan in Port Washington. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I uh, have three points. First, I agree with you, constitutionally speaking. The second point is, um, is, is more personal. Um, 19 years ago, uh, we were told that there would be a strong possibility of a problem pregnancy that could lead to a, a most unwelcomed outcome. Well, we, we made the decision to go forward with it, and I'm glad we really did. So with that being said, the one issue I'm extremely concerned about, nobody has discussed so far, is this president and other Democratic states will provide another form of entitlement to say, as the president said today, I will support you and other states and travel and medical. They're going to perform another form of entitlement to say, if your state does not allow this, no worries. We will gladly usher you to another state and pay for it, and I believe that that will create another form of entitlement to say, all right, this is the law of the land. We understand that. We abide by it. However, there are states that can provide this, hence, therefore, as long as I'm president, the current president, I am going to do this, and I bet you within a month you're going to hear very strong language and concerted legal efforts to make that possibility. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for calling. I, I, pre, I guess you know, I, I listened to the president talk today, and I, I think I think some of what you were hearing today was the, this heated political rhetoric. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure he meant everything that, that he said. I, I guess I kind of interpreted some of that stuff as saying that we're going to do everything we can to make sure if if there's some prosecutor somewhere that decides that they want to try to prosecute an abortion for moving because she, she's left the state of Wisconsin, for example, and headed somewhere else, we're going to try to vigorously defend that. I, I can't imagine a situation in the real world where that that actually is going to become an issue. Now, I understand you're also talking about the question of like who pays for this stuff. I, I guess at, at this point in time, I, I think that's that's a minor problem that, that you deal with kind of down the line. I think the fundamental problem is we have to figure out how we're going to standardize stuff um, because I, I do appreciate that it just like the drinking laws were, were just a, a mess where you had, and this is back when I turned 18, the drinking law, it was 18 to, to drink in Wisconsin. And some states were 21, and you had situations where people were driving to these different states. I, I think we need to figure out some sort of standardization on, on this issue. It doesn't make any sense to me that you're going to have, for example, Wisconsin having one law, Illinois having another, Michigan having another, Minnesota having another. There, there seems to be 
a need, I think, for us to come to a consensus on this. Can we do it because of all the strong feelings that people have on this issue? I, I, I don't know, which is one of the reasons I think politicians on both sides would do well to look beyond the people on, on the edges of this issue who feel the most strongly. And, and I get it. They, they feel very strongly and try to figure out, is there a, consent, a consensus in America as to where we are on this underlying issue and then kind of move towards that because i agree with you creating a patchwork of of laws that says okay you can do this in minnesota but you can't do this in wisconsin when it comes to an issue as significant as terminating a, a, a pregnancy that I, I think you know we, we don't need to have this patchwork and crazy quilt of laws there needs to be some standardization whether the politics of the day lets us get that that's a different issue. Let's talk to John in Brookfield. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, John. Can you hear me? Sure. Uh, Go ahead. We need to one, give me one sec. Turn off my radio and turn on my phone. So I'm coming at this from a slightly different viewpoint. Um, you have, well, first off, I'll say this. I, this will, this ruling will never directly affect me. Sure. Because I'm a male and I'm not going to have kids anymore. But here's one thing that whenever I've discussed abortion with people, they never, they never want to discuss the other half of the equation. We always talk about a woman and her right, which I'm not going to get into, but now we're going to have pregnancies that the state is going to be saying you have to carry the term. Now, are we going to now start affecting laws to ensure that the other half that procreated the child will become financially responsible for said life until age of adulthood? Because that's something I've never heard before. I never hear, okay, we're going to do this to women, but we never hear about the responsibility of the man who's created, helped to create the pregnancy, whether it's wanted or unwanted. And on a second note, I, and I do believe that this will really rev up both sides because Polling does state that the vast majority of the nation believes that a woman should have a say whether she has an abortion or not or carries a a pregnancy to term. And when you say that the state, it's up to the legislature, just let me complete. Our governor just asked for a special session, and all the Republicans did was gavel in, gavel out, we're not going to do anything. And they don't well, have uh, to, to. Okay, no, John, well, let me stop you there. That's, no, I'm gonna, John, thanks for calling. I'm going to stop you there. See, here's, here's the deal. First of all, Evers was not serious. Evers did not come out and propose what I'm talking about. He didn't propose legislation that said, here, let's, let's, let's put a 14- or 15-week limit on it. Evers, his special session was a political stunt um, generate desire to in an attempt to kind of like again 
generate you know enthusiasm and, and anger and support among his base. If Evers were serious, he would have come out and said, okay, this is my proposal here. I think that we should adopt a law like Mississippi's with these are the different rules, these are the parameters. But that's not what he asked. He didn't propose anything like that. He said, hey, I want to have a hearing on whether or not we're going to simply repeal this. If Evers were serious, and, and this is, he needs to be serious, and Republicans in the legislature, I think, need to be serious as well, and come out and say, okay, where, where is this middle ground? Tony Evers wasn't looking for a middle ground in this uh, particular situation, but now the now the issue is in face of the legislature. So Evers should be coming out with some sort of proposal. What is your proposal? Do you believe it should be in Wisconsin unlimited abortion, no restrictions at all? Do you believe there should be some limits? And then the Republicans need to respond, and then you have your debate. Now, as far as, you know, is this a... Where is the political, where, where are the political leanings here? I mean, I've seen those polls, too. And a majority, I'm not sure I would say a vast majority, but a majority a, appear to support a, a, woman's, a woman's right to an abortion. But that's not an absolute. You know, there, then you start asking the other, the follow-up questions, the, okay, well, how do you feel about abortion after six months? Well, no, then they say, no, we don't, we don't agree with that. So that's why you have to figure out, you know, where is the majority of the state? And I do think, as I said earlier, the state needs to do something because it makes no sense to me that we would be an outlier. And, and I would agree with you. If, if Illinois is going to allow this and Michigan is going to allow this, you shouldn't have Wisconsin women that are forced to travel to these different states to terminate a, a pregnancy. Now, we, we need to come together and you need to reach some common ground. As far as the people voting, I stand by what I said earlier. I think that there are some people on both sides of this issue for whom this is all they care about. And this is going to be the issue that, that drives them to the polls and the issue that requires them to cast their vote. I don't think the majority of people, even though I have an opinion on this, I, for example, if you have somebody who thinks, well, I, I believe that, you know, women should have the right to have abortions up to 16 weeks or whatever, but I'm going to vote exclusively on that. I just don't think that's where the majority of people are as well. Once again, we are broadcasting live from Summerfest 2022. You know, there is an irony to this decision that came out today that the lawsuit that was brought was actually brought by an abortion provider. This was a decision relating to the Mississippi law. And what happened was an abortion provider in Mississippi sued the state over its 2018 law banning abortions after 15 weeks, arguing that it contravenes Roe versus Wade and uh, later precedents and saying that, you know, there shouldn't be any limits on abortions up until 24 weeks, which would be like six months. So it's actually... It was a challenge to the law that had the Supreme Court actually looking at this, and they decided not only did they want to support the law, but they took that extra step and struck down Roe versus Wade. Again, I, I think I understand that the, the tempest that is going on here. I understand the rage that some people have. I understand the joy that other people have on this. I, I ultimately think, though, that this is... It's going to work itself out, probably sooner rather than later. And I would hope that this is another situation where cooler heads prevail. I, I was looking at one of the um, uh, one of the, the state representatives who came out with his press release, and it is interesting. Um, you know, I, I think it is now incumbent. I know how Tony Evers feels about this issue. I know how the Attorney General of the state, Josh Call, feels against this issue. But I, I will say this. I hope, first of all, cooler heads prevail, because I do think this is all going to work itself out in the wash. But secondly, 
I, I hope that law enforcement is ready and folks are prepared to make sure, as the president said today, that any protests that occurred are are peaceful. It, I, there is a little bit of a concern because you've got you know, some of the, the Jane's Revenge type of people out there who've already claimed credit for firebombing buildings and things like that. They've already announced plans for a night of rage across the, the country. And um, whether these are attacks on Catholic churches or pro-life organizations throughout the the nation, um, including the firebombing of the Wisconsin Family Action Office in Madison, I I hope that cooler heads will prevail and it's fine for people to go out and protest. But I, I would also hope that the governor and the attorney general and law enforcement offices all throughout this state are are committed to making sure that we don't see a repeat of some of the violence that happened in the summer of of 2020 and that we're going to take all necessary action to preserve peace and make sure that any domestic terrorism, and and that's what attacks on churches are and that's what attacks on the pro-life centers are, they're domestic terrorism as well, and that, that they're halted and that the people who are responsible are prosecuted. And like I say, I really hope that that we allow some time to digest this instead of just developing into some blind rage. And you see some of the texts we get. There, there's clearly some people who are just deep into the hate and deep into the anger. And, again, my only advice is just let's see where this whole thing goes because my guess is it is going to work itself out probably sooner rather than later, and it's going to work itself out with a legislative response. And that's probably the way it should have been all along. All right, we're going to move on, lightening it up in the 2 o'clock hour of the program. We are broadcasting live from Summerfest 2022. This is Jeff Wagner. The world's largest music festival is happening now. We're live on the Summerfest grounds of the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. Now broadcasting from the fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin WTMJ Mobile Studio. Here's your host, Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. It's the 2 o'clock hour of the program. We are broadcasting, as we say, live from Summerfest. It is a Chamber of Commerce day here. It's absolutely beautiful. Weather is just perfect. There's a nice breeze that's keeping it cool. Great musical lineup today, and lots of people down here having a lot of fun. I actually, we talked to Don Smiley in the first uh, half hour of the program today. I actually, I understand that there's some traditionalists who are very, very upset that Summerfest isn't going to be the consecutive days, you know, Thursday through the following Sunday. Instead, they're going to the new model, which is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, over three weeks. Um, They're going to reassess the whole idea to see how it works, but I have a feeling it is going to be really, really successful as far as getting people to show up and to enjoy themselves, and again, sort of perfect weather out there. Now, again, I understand that the Supreme Court striking down Roe versus Wade is this huge issue. We spent the last hour talking about it, and we will have a lot of other opportunities, I'm sure, to discuss that issue moving forward, especially now that this has put the... um, the ball back into the legislature's court here in Wisconsin, and we're going to have to decide what it is exactly that we're going to do with regard to Roe versus Wade. Having said that, though, um, we will talk about that moving forward. But it is Friday afternoon, and I want to discuss some other things. And, of course, we've got our Pop Culture Corner feature coming up at 2.30 this afternoon. 
One of the things we talk about on this program a lot is reckless driving. The fact that you have people out there that are driving on the streets at 80, 90 miles an hour, blowing through red lights. There was a story the other day on Fox 6 about a, a kid who I think had been stopped like 35 times in the space of a year and a half, and he just continued to drive away. No consequences at all, and he continued to end up you know, doing what he was doing. And you could give him tickets, and then his tickets didn't matter. He'd crunch them up and throw them in the back seat. And so the question was, why do we allow people like that to do to get away with what they do? That is a fair question. It's why there's no excuse that people like that shouldn't be behind bars. For many of us, though, uh, getting, for example, a speeding ticket that impacts your insurance um, and points on your license, many of us, most of us, I hope, care about the rules. We, we care about, gee, we want to make sure we have valid driver's licenses. We want to make sure we have up-to-date plates. We want to make sure we have insurance. Many of us try to play by the rules, and so the threat of getting a ticket or something does act as a deterrent. In the state of Wisconsin, you cannot use speed cameras to arrest people or ticket people for speeding. It ha- if you're going to get a speeding ticket, it has to be because a police officer saw you speeding, pulled you over, gave you the ticket. That's not the case in a number of other states. For example, um, in Chicago, they aggressively use speed cameras. And what they are doing is they will ticket you for going even six miles an hour over the limit. If you are caught on a speed camera going somewhere between six and ten miles an hour, you get a $35 ticket. If you're caught going more than ten miles an hour over the speed limit, you end up getting a $100 ticket. Um, In the first two months that they rolled this out, the city issued $11 million in fines for those who were caught going 6 to 10 miles an hour over the limit. And this has generated a, a huge, huge argument. First of all, saying, look, these speed cameras are really not there to try to make cars drive safer in a more safe fashion. What they really are, if you're sending out $35 tickets to people who are going 6 miles an hour over the limit, all you're really trying to do is generate revenue. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. We don't allow speed cameras in Wisconsin. We are all concerned with speeding, reckless driving, etc. Should we change the law? Should we start sending tickets to people who are caught going through certain areas, driving over the speed limit, including over the speed limit as low as 6 miles an hour over the speed limit? 855-616-1620. We discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, Chicago makes aggressive use of what they call speed cameras to try to stop speeding. They will send you a ticket if you are caught going six to ten miles an hour over the limit. You get a ticket for thirty five bucks, and then you get a ticket for a hundred dollars if you're caught going more than ten miles an hour over the limit. Now, in Milwaukee. I'm not sure what that would do to stop some of the chronic reckless drivers because you have people that are driving around. They could care less if they get a ticket. They don't have a driver's license. They don't have insurance. Chances are the car is probably stolen. But for a lot of people, 
tickets do matter. We, we do try to play by the rules. So my question is, do you believe that we should consider using speed cameras to try to enforce the law? And I guess the related question then is, at what point do you start sending out tickets? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, I've heard many officers use the saying, eight is great, nine's a fine, in regard to speeding over the limit. Um, Jeff, absolutely 100%. It's called the speed limit, not the speed suggestion. Politics, politicians suggest new rules and regulations every day, but we don't enforce the ones that we already have. Okay, so that's an interesting question. If you're going, let's say it's a, I don't know, it's a 30-mile-an-hour zone and you're driving through a park or whatever, and you're going 36 miles an hour, do you think, if you get caught by that camera, do you think it's legitimate for you to get a ticket? Would that really make people safer? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Scott in Wauwatosa. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, Jeff. uh, The people that... uh... Hello? Go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah, is uh, concerning the uh, reckless driving. The people that don't obey the laws, they aren't going to care. <laughs> they are already reckless. They don't pay any attention to any tickets, any laws. So why would uh, all the speed cameras going to do is uh, be a revenue generator for law-abiding citizens? Well, at the same time, though, Scott, what? Why? Why not? If the speed limit, if you're not supposed to be driving, I don't know, 10 miles, let's take the 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, um, is there anything wrong with using the cameras so that that you're caught doing it? And, and yes, it would affect the otherwise law-abiding citizens, but if you're not supposed to speed, you're not supposed to speed. Um, Yeah, I guess you have a point there, but then you also have to look into questions about how different uh, vehicles, uh, how speedometers are set, if you change the wheel size, you know, all all sorts of factors that come into it, Uh, so... I, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I, I no, know. thanks for the call, Scott. I, no, no, no. See, that, that's, you, you just hit it. See, that's, that is one of the reasons why officers oftentimes use discretion, because there's a variety with the speedometers and things like that. See, here's how I come down on, on this. I think that we need to concentrate on doing everything we can to stop people who drive recklessly. So first of all, let's acknowledge that the people driving without the licenses, the people driving the stolen cars, the people driving without the plates, the people that are, you know, the the chronic offenders, this isn't going to do anything for them. It's just going to be another badge of honor. Look, I got 15 different tickets for this. Those are the people that we need to, quite frankly, like the guy like they had on Fox 6 the other night, these are the people that, that deserve to be in jail for a couple years if they don't get the idea because they're endangering the rest of us. So uh, accepting the fact that this isn't going to really deal with the chronic uh, reckless drivers, does that still make it a bad idea? And my answer would be no, it, it doesn't. But here's, here's the deal. You have to have a common sense approach to this. What is the problem? Is the problem when we're dealing with reckless driving and things of the like, is the problem that somebody is going 36 in a 30-mile zone? And I think as a general rule, unless there's all sorts of people around or whatever and there's other issues going on, that's not the problem. 
The problem isn't the person driving 36 or 34 or 35 in the 30-mile-an-hour zone. The problem is the person driving 50 in the 30-mile-an-hour zone. The problem is the person driving through the, the red lights. Those are what the trouble is. Do I support speed cameras? Yeah, I support speed cameras, but this idea of what they're doing in Chicago where they're sending out the tickets to people for six miles an hour over the limit, that has nothing to do with public safety. At least in my opinion, that's nothing but an effort to try to raise money so you know you can, I don't know, help the city do whatever they're doing. And they're doing that on the back of otherwise, I think, law-abiding drivers. Now, I understand there's absolutist out there. I heard from a couple of texts from people, you know, what part of the speed limit don't you understand? If they're going two miles an hour over, they should get a ticket. And that tells me it's probably people who never drive or people who take the bus the entire time or people who always drive five miles an hour below the speed limit. I think what you need to do is is balance it. No problems using speed cameras, but let's identify the problem. Let's go after the people that are, in fact, really speeding and creating the problem, as opposed to just using this as a way to try to squeeze an extra, in this case, 35 bucks out of people. Uh, Ron in Janesville. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. Uh, you're exactly right. Uh, I've, uh, I go to Illinois occasionally or uh, a couple activities, and I've gone into the intersection down there uh, where I entered the intersection on green, and uh, right. oncoming traffic kept, kept me from getting out of the intersection before it turned to yellow or red. And uh, I never have any tickets. I haven't had them for years, but yet I got two down there. And it, yeah. it's just a revenue thing. I mean, uh, I mean, I was out of there instantly as soon as the oncoming traffic came by, and I understand it. Maybe the guy who entered the intersection kept me from turning should get the ticket. But uh, right. once you're in there, uh, what are you going to what are you going to do? He can't back out, and it, it is using for revenue. And I say, uh, right. you're right. I mean, I'm going down the interstate driving all the time, and I see people pass me like you do, going 100 miles an hour, and you wonder where are the police right. at. Well, why should people that are going five six miles an hour get tickets for just that type of stuff? So right. if, if they if they enforce it, I, I like to see it happen, but I think they'll abuse it. Yeah, thanks for the call, Ryan. Well, again, I want to concentrate on what the problem is. And, again, I understand that giving out more tickets to people who don't care, that's not going to make any difference. They're just going to ball them up and throw them away and laugh at it. But that doesn't mean it's not necessarily a worthwhile endeavor. And, and candidly, you know, if you're, if you're going 45 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone, I've got no sympathy if you get a ticket, okay? You, you need to know that. And you need to recognize that maybe people need to slow down in that regard. If you're going... 36 in that 30 mile an hour zone, the, the idea that you're getting that ticket, to me, it's just about getting money. Dustin and Madison. Dustin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So a couple of weeks ago, I was going to my doctor's appointment. I was actually in an Uber, and we got pulled over for going 80 miles per hour to 70 miles a zone. And I'm like, okay, if we're getting pulled over for speeding, whatever. But he actually said I was going too slow because he's trying to get past me to catch up to someone. I'm like, we're going 80 miles per hour. It's not like we were going, you know. <laughs> 60 miles per hour or something like that. But he's never going too slow. I'm like, that didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Dustin. Yeah, that, that's one where you might be inclined, to, if you're the Uber driver, to show up in court and say, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm 10 miles an hour over the limit, and I still get pulled over. But then you got to be careful then because they say, oh, so you admitted that you were 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. Boom, here's your ticket. 
bat well again i i think I think we need to have common sense measures to kind of deal with these issues. We all see the reckless driving. We all see the bad driving. We all recognize that we take our life in our hands sometimes um, when we're out and about on the roadways. And I think we have to recognize that this technology exists, so maybe you can use the technology. But it does seem to me down in Chicago they're using the technology to generate $1.11 million in fines from people who are just driving a few miles an hour over the speed limit. Everybody down here in our mobile broadcast facility is clapping their hands along with the Violent Femmes, who are performing tonight at the Generac Power Stage. Actually, uh, I know it's the Generac Power Stage. I I, I desperately have generator envy. Uh, A couple friends of mine... They invested the money and they, they got a they got a Generac generator. They got it installed in their house a month or two ago. And uh, you know we don't have power outages very often where I live. I think we had one for about 12 hours last year when the big windstorm blew through. But I remember thinking that 12 hours was just absolutely awful. And I thought, man, I, I I will know that I have made it in this world when I can have a Generac generator that kicks in. And I, again, my friends Joe and Janet had one put in a couple months ago. So and they they just absolutely love it. So now I, I'm thinking, hey. If you know they live kind of close to me, so I know where I'm going. If there's ever a long-term power outage, Violent Femmes performing tonight at the Generac Power Stage. WTMJ is packing its bags. We are packing our bags and heading downtown. Wisconsin Radio Station is moving to the avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee. Follow our progress all summer long as we embark on a journey to our new home. The avenue is vibrant, exciting, plus you'll be able to come by and see us. WTMJ's move to the avenue is sponsored by Coakley Brothers and Brothers Interior, the official moving and furniture provider of GKB Milwaukee. And by the way, we now have dates on this. Our offices, the office folks... Cubeland, those folks are moving July 25th, and the rest of us, the uh, the on-air people, uh, the studio's moving, I think, September 26th. September 26th will be our first day down at the Avenue. So we've got a couple months at Radio City, and then we say goodbye and head down the road. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. Well, it is Pop Culture Corner time, presented by Palermo's Pizza. One caller during Pop Culture Corner, solely in the discretion of my producer, Charlie, back at Radio City, will win our Palermo's Pizza prize package. Try saying that three times fast. It's a couple... Uh, Palermo's Pizzas. You get a coupon for that. You get a Palermo's Pizza Cutter, freezer bags, post-it stuff, all sorts of great things exclusively in the discretion of my producer, Charlie. He makes that decision. All right. Well, as we've been telling you all day, we are broadcasting from Summerfest. We are at the lakefront. Yesterday was the first day of Summerfest. It was very, very well attended. And the, the reception to the shows, I was talking to a number of people who were at a bunch of the shows. The reception of the shows were just absolutely outstanding. If you look at the lineup they've got coming up over the course of the next, well, the remaining eight days, lots of really great stuff. And if the weather holds, I think it's going to be absolutely spectacular. There is, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm a huge music lover, and I like to think that I have a wide variety of of tastes in music and things like that. I, I love listening to recorded music. 
no question about it. And I do that, for example, every morning. I'm getting ready for the show. I'll go into my Apple iTunes library, and I'll pick some artist, and I'll, I'll listen to that as I'm getting ready for the program. But there's nothing like seeing a live performance. There, there's something about seeing a, a concert that I think it's just... It's just so incredible because, first of all, yeah, the, the studio stuff is great, but there's always going to be a variety. You never exactly know what's going to happen. Maybe the performer's going to, maybe the artist's going to forget the lyrics. You know, maybe, maybe they'll just do a riff that, that you, that they haven't done before. There's just something about listening to live music that I absolutely love. And it's one of the things that I really missed during the pandemic when essentially there, you couldn't go anywhere to find live music. So whenever I have have the opportunity to see a band or bands in person i love to do it and of course there's no better opportunity to do that than than at summerfest you wander around all the different stages that are here i thought for our our opening weekend of summerfest and our first pop culture corner of summerfest I, i i call the segment you had to be there our number, 855-616-1620, which is the acunet mortgage talk and text line the best live concert that you have ever been to. Now, maybe this is a huge band that you saw in an arena sort of setting or in a stadium sort of setting. Maybe it was one of those performances that you just had to, you kind of wandered in and there was a guy with a guitar and it was just a spectacular performance. But I call the segment, you had to be there. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your favorite concert. And it can be recent, it can be a number of years ago, favorite concert, and you can define favorite however you want. All right, we'll take a quick break, give Charlie a chance to line up the calls. We will be back with your calls and your texts. It's Pop Culture Corner. You had to be there. Your favorite concert experience, 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Pop Culture Corner presented by Palermo's Pizza. We're down at Summerfest. It is the opening weekend. And, of course, the Pop Culture Corner topic for today is you had to be there. The best concert that you have ever been to. And you can define best concert however you want to. Uh, Let's see. Before we go to phone lines, let's get a couple texts. Jeff, Pink Floyd at Camp Randall, 1984. Jeff, for me, it was the three tenors at the United Center, December of 2000. To me, Jeff, it was um, it was Bruce Springsteen. It was the boss. Jeff, when I was in college, 1971, Elton John in Chicago played the piano the entire concert, and we got caught smoking the good stuff. We had a far-out time. Jeff, for me, it was Michael Jackson at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, early in 1980s. Every song he did was huge. The theatrics were amazing. We all had tears in our eyes throughout the entire thing. So, yeah, you've got kind of a young uh, Michael Jackson there. Always a lot of fun. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Sally in Oak Creek. Sally, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Um, I love Kenny Chesney and Luke Bryan. I love Kenny Chesney and Luke Bryan live, but I have to say the best experience I've ever had was Hootie and the Blowfish, Darius Rucker, for those of you who don't know Hootie and the Blowfish, (laughs) um, back at Alpine Valley sometime in the 90s. I don't remember when. We lost power, and if people remember, that place is just a mud pit. 
because of the when it rains and pours. We were lucky enough to be undercover, but they lost power. But Hootie and his band came out and sang a cappella for well over an hour to entertain us until they got the power back on, and then they proceeded to do their entire concert after that. And I just thought that was, you know, they didn't have to do that, and oh. they did, and that was incredible. That is incredibly cool. Wow. I mean, so in, instead of just walking away and saying, hey, we're done, they actually came out and they entertained the crowd while there was a power outage. How cool was that? Yep. It was awesome. It really, really was. And then they waited and performed the whole thing. Uh, thanks for the call, Sally. I appreciate it. Bob in Germantown. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, Hi, Bob. For me, it was 2013. Uh, my wife and I uh, decided to do a getaway to a concert, in this case, and we flew to Kansas City at the Starlight Theater and saw Hart, and that was the Black Dog Tour. They had uh, Jason Bonham and his band mm-hmm. opening for them, and the thing that was really great about the concert was we ended up in the front row. It was just luck of the draw. And we ended up in the front row, and they did, for their encore for Heart, they brought Jason Bonham out to play with them. And then they did, like, uh, the uh, uh, version that they did in the Kennedy Center Honors, where they had uh, Stairway to Heaven with a live mm-hmm. choir. They oh, cool. kids out. And so it was really cool to have Jason Bonham on drums. And, yeah, it was, it was really yeah. something. Bob, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You know, it, it's those kind of unexpected things. You know, our first caller, Sally, was talking about Alpine Valley, and I might, I'm sure I've told the story before, but certainly one of my most memorable concert experiences, would it would have been, oh gosh, 78, 79, uh, Fleetwood Mac had just come out with their... The, with, with Rumors, which was the second album from that incarnation of Fleetwood Mac. And Alpine Valley had put on a, a second, uh, they had two shows and they added a third. We happened to get in for the third ticket. We had front row seats, bottom line. I didn't know they were front row seats. None of us knew they were front row seats. We got down there and then, you know, we walk, they keep saying, oh, you're further down, further down. We're front row seats. My dear friend is yelling, up to Stevie Nicks, Stevie, I want to have your baby. And she, at one point in time, she heard him. It kind of like looked and sort of waved at us. So that was kind of like, it just it was one of those sort of memorable things. You had front row seats for Fleetwood Mac. Let's talk to Danny in Janesville. Danny, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff. Uh, Hi Danny. Best concert for me, 1994 95. Uh, the late great Warren Zevon, Barrymore Theater. Really, I. I, I am a huge fan of Warren Zevon. You know, he, he had his demons and stuff. And, I, I mean, I've heard horror stories about some of his shows where he just really wasn't able to perform. But he, he put on a good show for you, huh? Well, what was, what was funny about it was I had just discovered him where I'm a musician myself. And a friend of mine says, you know, with your personality, you need to learn the song Excitable Boy. Right. And so I went out and I bought the album, you know, loved his stuff. And about a month later, he was going to be there at the Barrymore. And I was like, okay, I got to go. So okay. I go, puts on an absolutely phenomenal show. And then what was really great about it was I thought afterwards, I thought, I wonder if he's going to eat at the Blue Plate Diner, you know, like everybody else does. So I go over there and there he is eating a sandwich. And I walk up to him, you know, gush about how much of a fan I am and how I just discovered him. 
He looks at me and goes, can't you see I'm eating F off? <laughs> and um, so for years, so for years, I'm like, hey, Warren Zevon told me where to go. How cool is that? <laughs> Thanks for the call, Dan. Yeah. Well, Warren, oh, I, I think he was an incredibly talented guy, and I, I love his music. And I, I've read a couple of the, the his biographies and stuff. And like I say, he, he, he had his demons. I guess that's the best way you could put it. And if you, if you showed up, it was one of those days where if you, you showed up and you caught him when he was had given into some of his demons it, it, it sometimes the shows weren't great but it, it, that's interesting i was told i was told where to go by warren zevon bob in new berlin bob you're on wtmj good afternoon good afternoon jeff yeah all oh, great topic thanks for taking my call say yes, i uh i recall the concert uh at summerfest and i don't remember the exact year but i think it was mid 80-ish like 85, 86, Charlie Daniels and the Marshall Tucker Band were on mm-hmm. the main stage that that night. Uh, they were the two headliners that uh, that performed, not together, but I mean, you know, they right. they each had their own act. But that was that was a night. I, I just and that was before Marshall Tucker. Uh, they had they had an accident where they lost some members of the band. So it was the original. Marshall Tucker Band. Yeah, it was right. That was, yeah, that no, was thanks fun. for call. Oh, Bob. And by the way, Bob, you are the winner of our Palermo's Pizza Prize package. Any anybody that calls out the yeah. late great Charlie Daniels is getting some pizza from me. Okay. All right. Thank, great. Thanks, th- Jeff. Have a great weekend. Thanks for. Yeah, you as well. Thanks for participating, and we will have more of our Palermo's prize packages to give away when we do this again um, next Friday. 855-616-1620. Paul in Sussex. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I've uh, I've met you uh, one day at the Sussex Bowl. We had a beer together. Oh, which was a okay. Outstanding. Time. Outstanding. And, Best uh, concert anyway, ever. About five years ago. Yeah. Uh, about five years ago, I had an offer to go see Black Sabbath at the Hollywood Bowl with airfare for 350 bucks. We had great seats, great people, good friends, and it was probably with Ozzy. And mm-hmm. Sharon was in the back. You could see her. You could see Aerosmith. They were back there. It was uh, just an awesome event. But for 350 bucks with airfare and show, you couldn't go wrong. You know, I have never seen a concert at the Hollywood Bowl. I'm told it is just an absolutely tremendous venue to, to see shows at. It's it's uh, yeah, it's it's something. You know, it's one. Of, it's the eighth wonder of the world. How's that? <laughs> Works for me. Thanks for the call, Paul. Yeah, yeah thanks. A lot. I, I, I've seen Sabbath years and years ago um, back when, well, Ozzy Osbourne was always a, a train wreck, but I, I saw him before he was as much of, well, I don't know. He might be less of a train wreck now than he was years ago, but, you know, I, I'm not a big heavy metal guy, but it was it was still a really, really good show to see. So I appreciate that. Um, let's see, 855-616-1620. Jeff, at the um, old Summerfest grounds, let's see, um, um, an NXS concert. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Jeff, Barry Manilow at the Sunrise Musical Theater in Sunrise, Florida. The concert before that venue was torn down. He was absolutely incredible. You know, I, I, it's no secret I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan. I've seen just a ton of Buffett shows. The, the one I remember the most, at, <laughs> it's, I guess you could take that a couple ways, but one of the ones that I really enjoyed, he played two nights in a row years and years ago at the Riverside 
Theater in the middle of January. Now, normally Buffett tours with this entire entourage, and you've got the Coral Reefer Band, but it was him and Mac McAnally, who's his guitarist, and they played like two and a half hours at the Riverside, two nights in a row in like January, and I don't think he was used to like the cold weather and stuff, but it was an absolutely tremendous show. Um, Let's see, Jeff Bruce uh, Springsteen and the E Street Band, yeah, you've got that out there. Jeff, my greatest live concert, this is really going back, was Doc Severson, 1970 Summerfest. That was kind of like the original Summerfest. A couple people are mentioning um, Paul McCartney. Um, somebody said they saw Paul McCartney in 2013. Paul McCartney still, he's going to be 80 years old for goodness sakes, puts on a really, really good show. I saw him at Lambeau Field a couple years ago. Uh, Jeff, best concert, one word, it would be Rush. Um, let's see. Jeff, for me, it was a 50s revival at Summerfest. Jerry Lee Lewis, he'd been drinking, had um, Pabst beer on his piano. People started to boo, and he made an obscene gesture and stormed out. Well, that would be a memorable concert experience. A lot of other great concert ideas. Bottom line is that's what's so special about live music. You come out because you never know what's going to happen. You could be there that day that George Carlin gets arrested for the seven words you can't say on TV or at Summerfest in Milwaukee, or Jerry Lee Lewis has had too much to drink and he makes an obscene gesture, or you see Michael Jackson before Michael Jackson becomes huge. All these great things. Thanks for participating in Pop Culture Corner. We do it again next week. 